Good afternoon, everybody. It's Father Larry Richards, and you are watching Anchored in Hope. And it is October the 13th, 2022. I have been gone for the last two weeks, or it seems like maybe it was more. I don't know, but I'm back. I uh, had my gallbladder surgery, which the gallbladder pain was the worst pain I've ever had in my life. Much, 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 much worse than a, uh, um, when I had my uh, kidney stone. So anyway, I keep figuring this is the, 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 my year of suffering. So I say it's over. October 9th of last year or 10th is when my dog died uh mac and then my mother died and then my um my cook died the same day my second dog died and i miss her unbelievably she was there every day a very good lady mary dance fantastic woman and then um, my sister died and then uh, my brother-in-law died the same day my sister died and then right after I buried them, I got COVID. And right after I got COVID, uh, literally I got better. And I was in the hospital that next weekend for the gallbladder. And then they said it was uh, not gallbladder. And then they found out it was gallbladder after me having six episodes of very bad pain. And then they finally took it out two weeks ago yesterday. And so I have five holes in my belly, four holes for the um laparoscopically whatever laparoscopic surgery and then finally another hole for the drainage because uh what had happened was the uh it was so bad the gallstone was so big that it lodged itself and so all this bile was leaking into my system is this too much for information i think it is but anyway and so uh, i was going to get septic it was they said it was i they just got it in time so but it's taken me two weeks to recover, and now last week I was on retreat all week uh, so I could recover, and uh, now I am fantastic. I'm about 90% um, good. I still have a little bit more to go, but anyway, I'm just glad to be here with you. Now, first thing we do is pray. In the name of Father, Son, Holy Spirit, amen. Father, great God of love, we thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for always being with us. Father, we ask you to send your Holy Spirit to lead us, to guide us, and to help us do your holy will. We beg you these things, Holy Father, in Jesus' name, amen. Mary, Mother of Jesus, pray for us. Good Saint Joseph, pray for us. And Father, Son, Holy Spirit, amen. Okay. What I'd like to do, what I was praying about, um, I was praying about a lot of things, of course, last week when I was on retreat. One of the things, of course, was should I uh, leave my parish that I have been at for 20 years? Um, because, you know, maybe allowing people to get um, new blood in that in there uh, after me being there, um, you know, because I'm afraid I could get... Uh, status quo, which I don't want, uh, maybe new eyes, new blood. I'm sure people get tired of looking at me every day. And, uh, but as I was praying the Lord, just put in my heart, do you love them? And I said, of course I love them. Uh, fight with them. <laughs> I love them. They fight with me, but, um, they think they love me. And so he said, then you stay, you know, and I said, okay, but it's time for us to re, 
do things because uh, again, after COVID, our numbers went down. We just had Oktoberfest, was, which was fantastic, uh, but our people did a lot of fighting and that, that just broke my heart. Um, and it was just over power and leadership and instead of uh, having servant leadership, it was just fighting and people re- left the parish saying we're all selfish and everything else and it, that more than anything just broke my heart. Like, uh, because to say that about the parish is to say that about me, I'm the father of the parish. And so in the midst of all those things, I just had to regroup and say, Lord, what do you want? Because I talk a lot about wanting to do God's will, and that's the purpose for all of us is to do God's holy will. So i got to be making sure that I'm doing God's will, that uh, uh, I'm only doing what he wants me to do and not what I want to do and not my religious practice and not what, you know, it'd be good, you know, I just stay there. Whatever it is, you know, whatever you want, God. Um, So that's what the week was about. But also I was focusing on Anchored in Hope, our foundation, everything about, uh, you know, we we stepped out into the into faith about uh, running the foundation now, not selling any of our the CDDs or DVDs or any of that stuff. So now we're one hundred percent on faith on uh, the generosity of people who listen, and so uh, to really hope that we get. Uh, people that support our stuff on a monthly basis and even something as simple as our our new app now i just found out it like costs us sixty thousand dollars a year and i almost had a heart attack you know they don't tell me these things when they're doing them they just i find out afterwards and i'm saying uh okay sixty thousand dollars a year it cost us i just had that vimo thing and then i said okay we have to look at stuff uh, i'm not going to charge for the gospel but we got to make sure that, um, you know, people know that we have a need anyway, all that stuff. So there's all this stuff been going on, uh, with me, with the foundation, with my parish. And so it's okay, Lord, I, I trust in you, whatever it happens. But one of the things I was thinking is that maybe instead of just answering questions every week, I want to get, <laughs> I don't know, you know, I've been talking about how long to get interviews and that in there. And everybody says, that's a great idea, Father. But uh, it never goes to the next level. So uh, I just don't have it in me to be able to get it to the next level yet. I have to and count on my staff and everybody else that, okay, this is where we're going to go. And this is what needs to happen. Um, and so right now, it just seems like we're, in my opinion, we're just spending a lot of money with uh, without much to look at but anyway in the midst of all that i said what i'd like to do until we can start getting guests in that in there and doing what i want to do and what i've asked to do uh for at least the last year and oh yeah father that's nice (laughs) so i'm just going to start talking on topics every week and so you can still ask questions i'll leave the second half for this for questions but the first half i want to deal with different topics and so you can also give me ideas and you can shoot them by email to the foundation or just the reason for our hope.org and just put uh, ideal uh, for podcast on the thing uh, question for podcast or uh, an idea for a topic you want me to focus on or you can uh, send it in all the um, uh, the chat the live chat okay so what we're going to do is i want to deal with the um, i want to deal with eucharist first eucharist because 
the church teaches at Vatican Council too, for those of you who like Vatican Council too, that the Eucharist is the source and the summit of our life. What does that mean? And the Mass or the Eucharist, same reality. That means the Mass or the Eucharist, because it's Jesus, the Alpha and the Omega, is where everything comes from and where everything's going. I am the Alpha and the Omega. And again, it's an important because after the um, COVID and that hit and people stopped going to church because a lot of places didn't have churches. We weren't, uh, they had them, but we weren't allowed to have public masses. People just stopped going to church. And even in my own thing, you know, we have all kinds of people that watch every day uh, the mass, but 1,500 people usually watch a day, not live, you know, about 300 people watch live, and then everybody else watches later in the day, whether it's listening to the homily or whatever. Um, but there's been a loss of the sense of the need for the actual Eucharist, that the Mass watching on live stream or TV has become enough for a lot of people. And that's just sad because... It isn't the fullness of the reality. It's like watching um, a beautiful banquet or watching Thanksgiving a movie and never eating and starving to death. And that's what people are doing. They're being entertained, if you will, but they're not being fed. Physically, the reality of God himself who feeds us with his own precious body and blood. Huh? When we go and we start with the, the power and what's happening in the Eucharist, we can start like when I do a parish mission, I always like to start in Luke's gospel because this is where it begins in uh, Luke. And we go here to um, chapter 22, verse 15 and following. And here in Luke chapter 15 and following, Jesus says, I have greatly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. So here's Jesus that's going to die, who's going to be tortured, who's going to be rejected. And what does he talk about right before the Mass, the first Mass, the Last Supper? Is I greatly desire to eat with you. To eat with someone is called table fellowship, and it makes us, especially in the Gospel, it's, uh, it shows... Uh, equalness with another person. That's why Jesus was always yelled at uh, by the Pharisees because he ate and drank with sinners. And so here's the God of the universe that says, I want to eat with you. And so part of that is an act of humility. The God of the whole universe eats with sinful people. The apostles were all sinful people. And it's a part of just wanting to be with them. That God isn't happy, if you will, just being up in heaven. God wants to be with us. At the end of the Gospel of Matthew, it says, I am with you always. It's not just a spiritual reality. Of course, God is with us right now. Of course, he's wherever you are watching from here. He's right here in the studio with me. God is truly present here. But it's not the same presence of eating with somebody, a physical reality. 
it's I always say it's like if you're married, it's like talking to your spouse on the telephone and being intimate with your spouse sexually. Two entirely different realities. One is a great physical intimacy that brings us closeness and unity. And the other is an intimacy, but it's not a deep intimacy. And so when we go to Mass and we talk about the Eucharist, it's this physical intimacy with the God of the universe that not only does he want to eat with us, he wants to feed us, and he feeds us with himself. Why? Because you become what you eat, right? And so when we receive Jesus in the Eucharist, we become like him. We get transformed into him if we have the faith that sees him. And so we begin there where Jesus says, I have greatly desired this. And so I always ask people when I'm doing a mission or something, like the last place I had a mission um, a couple weeks ago or about a month ago, fantastic people in um, outside of Toledo, Ohio. And people, the, the priests there were unbelievable good priests. The people were very good, but it was the biggest biggest parish in the whole diocese of Toledo. And it was one of the smallest crowds I've had. Now, we could sit there and say it's because of COVID. I don't know what it was. I was uh, uh, like, I don't know what's going on. It could be me, you know, like I'm a jerk. I don't know. Um, but I, like I said to one day, I says, uh, and what I say to everybody when we get them to go to a mission, I says, if I was to give you a million dollars, if you showed up at this mission, would you come? And you know, everybody goes, well, of course I'd come for a million bucks. And then I say, well, then why won't you come for Jesus? You tell Jesus why a million dollars is more important to you than Jesus Christ. Or then like the third night when we have mass, I say, and we're about half a church full. And I'd say here tonight, I am giving and feeding people with the very body, blood, soul, and divinity of almighty God. And yet, it wasn't important to people. Sports was more important. Money was more important. Their time was more important. TV was more important. But to go to church and receive the body, blood, soul, and divinity of God, is that all you got, Father? I don't care. And so how sad that is. But it's happening all over the world every Sunday. The people that used to go to Mass don't go to Mass. The people that call themselves Catholic and uh, don't go to Mass on Sunday. Well, can you really be Catholic if you're not receiving the body, blood, soul, and divinity that one makes you one with God, that makes you one with your brothers and sisters in the faith, and it truly makes you one um, in the body where we belong to each other? You know, the the four marks of the early church, which I've uh, shared with you before, and this is in Acts chapter 2, verse 42. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts chapter 2, verse 42. The four things, you know, we all know the marks of the church today, one holy, Catholic, and apostolic. But the four marks of the early church, if you will, it still is one holy, Catholic, and apostolic. But here it says, they devoted themselves, this is Acts chapter 2, verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' instruction, to the communal life, to the breaking of the bread, and to the prayers. So the early church broke, uh, committed themselves to what the apostles taught, to the communal life, because uh, community was so important. 
So often to us, community isn't important anymore. It's just, I want my one-on-one relationship with Jesus, but I don't like these other people <laughs> that belong to the church. You know, and so I can have my relationship, people think, with Jesus and not have a relationship with our brothers and sisters. You cannot. There is no Lone Rangers in Christianity. Even a hermit is a one who unites himself in prayer for the whole church. There is no, no, no Lone Rangers in the community. You cannot follow Jesus by yourself. They dedicated themselves to the communal life. So do I dedicate myself to the communal life, the Eucharistic life, that which happens every Sunday? That's why the teaching of the church is so important that it says if you purposely miss Mass on Sunday, you're in mortal sin, and that means you cut yourself off from the body of Christ, and that means if you die in mortal sin, you go to hell. Why? Because the communal life is so important. It makes us one with Jesus and one with one another. You cannot separate yourself from the community without separating yourself from Jesus Christ. huh? And then, well, I don't like those people, Father. But that's why Jesus said, all people will know you're my disciples. Why? Because you're holy? No, because you love one another. So even when we fight, even when we disagree, even when we drive each other completely nuts, and you do that to me sometimes and I do that to you, we're still called to love each other. Still, we don't ever break off the community. There is no divorce from the body of Christ without being separated from the body forever. You cannot separate yourself from Jesus and his body. It's one. There's only one Jesus. And to be united with Jesus, to be united with his body, especially that's why it's taught the importance of going to Mass on Sunday, that we need to do things as a community. And so they break them, build themselves to the, the teaching of the apostles, to the communal life, to the breaking of the bread, which means the Eucharist, and to the prayers. And so when we go there, let's go back to Luke chapter 22. And then it says, it says, um, then taking a cup, this is verse 17, Again, chapter 22 of Luke, uh, chapter 22, verse 17 now. Then taking a cup, he offered a blessing and thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you. I tell you, from now on, I will not drink of it until the coming of the reign of God. Then taking bread and giving thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body to be given for you. Do this in memory of me. So what he's saying is, is eat this and it's my body. He didn't say it's like my body, which we're going to go into John's gospel here in a moment. It says it's the flesh. It's sarx, S-A-R-X. It's a hunk of meat. It's, uh, it's very raw. It's not just a teaching, but it is. But it's his true body and blood. You know, isn't it amazing when we talk to our brothers and sisters who are fundamentalists? They believe in the world was created in seven days because Genesis said it, Period. Seven 24-hour days, that's it. I have a good friend who's a pastor. He says, I believe it. I would take a bullet. I would take a bullet for the seven-day, 24-hour creation. God bless him. But the same God, when he became a man, and he said, this is my body. That's explicit. Here's God saying, this is my body. And he goes, well, he just meant that uh, as a... uh, you know, his representation as a symbol. That ain't what he said. He didn't say this is a symbol of my body. And though, what then, then, then 
what we do about that is, is we know that the early church, what did the teaching of the apostles say? What were the church fathers say? The church fathers says that was his true body, blood, soul, and divinity, right? And again, no. So here it is. Here's Jesus says, this is my body. And then we're just going to go, not to John 6 yet. I'm going to go to 1 Corinthians here. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, we're going to go to verse 23. Now, I did this uh, a couple, about a month and a half ago, but I, I want to put this into the Eucharistic teaching of the Eucharist. Huh? And so here it is. So Paul, at the early church, now again, Paul didn't know Jesus uh, when he was on earth, didn't see him uh, uh, perform any miracles. He had a resurrected experience of Jesus. And yet here is what Paul says in the early community, and he's talking to the people of Corinth. He says, I received, Excuse me, I received from the Lord what I handed on to you, namely that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and after he had given thanks, broke it and said, this is my body. Do this in remembrance of me. Now let's deal with the word remembrance for a second. What Jesus is saying is, um, it's not just a memory. It's not just a, a play. You know, every time we go to Mass, it's a relationship. And we're supposed to say, Jesus, I remember you. It's not about just a ritual I go through. I often, have, I used to say all the time, but then when I was getting mixed company, people were taking it wrong. But I'd say ritual without relationship is spiritual rape. Ritual without relationship is spiritual rape. That when we go to Mass, it's about being in relationship with Jesus who feeds you and me with his very self. It's about me being in love with the people around me because they're my brothers and sisters in Christ. And when I go to heaven, if I make it by the grace of God, I'm not going to be alone, but my brothers and sisters are going to be with me. Again, that's why I say you're finally getting to know what it is to be a Christian when you hope and pray that the person you hate the most on this earth gets to sit next to you forever in heaven. Now you're getting it. Now I get it. Jesus came to die for them, and Jesus came to die for me. Because you do realize when you say, you know, the sit next to the person you hate the most, as you're saying that, someone else is thinking, the person I hate the most, and they're thinking of you. You got it? I know they're thinking of me. To pray that the people would hate my guts, to pray that they would want to sit next to me forever in heaven. And don't you get it? I'll be redeemed and they'll be redeemed. Where all there is is Jesus. That's the, got to be the goal for all of us. And that's what happens at every Mass. We work through all the stuff we've had to go through, huh? The apostles fought with each other. They were jealous of each other. They hurt each other, but they stayed together, except for one. Judas left them. So you can't leave the body without dire consequences. You got to work through it. You got to deal with it. That's part of being the body of Christ. That's part of what the Eucharist is. And so Paul says, so it's a relationship um, and he says, uh, do this remembrance of me. And in the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, and he said, do this, whatever you drink, in remembrance of me. Every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the death of the Lord until he comes. This means whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord unworthily sins against the body and blood of the Lord. 
So it talks about you can't receive communion not in a state of grace. A man should examine himself first, only then should he eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Verse 29, he who eats and drinks without recognizing the body eats and drinks a judgment on himself. Verse 30, that is why many among you are sick and infirm and why so many of you are dying. So if you receive the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ unworthily, the bread of life becomes the bread of death. That's why the church teaches who can go to communion and who can't. Again, I've never refused anyone communion because God is the judge, not me. I am so sick of judging myself, other people, but I still do it. But that's not the call of God for me. And it's not the call of God for you. Jesus forbid me to do it. And yet we do it in his name all the time. God will judge all by himself. He knows the heart of every person. We do not. If we're examining ourselves, we would not be falling under judgment in this way. But since it is the Lord who judges us, verse 32, since it is the Lord who judges us, he chastens us to keep us from being condemned with the worst of the world. Verse 33, therefore, my brothers, when you assemble for a meal, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let them eat at home so that your assembly may not deserve condemnation. So he's talking about we need to come together. Now we're going to go to John chapter 6 here, huh? And in John chapter 6, and I could go, let me just, before I go there, let's go to one other place I just love to go to, and we're going to go back to Luke's gospel. But we're going to go to the end of Luke, huh? We're going to go to the story of Emmaus. And um, this begins in Luke chapter 24, uh, verse 13. And I encourage you to get your Bible and do this with me. Every week when I do this, I'll take you through with the scriptures so that you can take your Bible and you can go through it with me and you can write, uh, write things and underline things. It'll be a great way for us to really grow in our relationship with God. And so again, you know the story of Emmaus. I would again, I, again think most of you. Again, chapter 24 of Luke's Gospel, verse 13, and it goes all the way down to verse 35, 13 to 35, but we're not going to read all that here. But it says, two in the same day were making their way to a village named Emmaus, and it goes down. And Jesus starts walking with them, but they don't know it's Jesus. But Jesus says, um, what are you talking about along the way? What were you discussing? <laughs> and so they halt in distress, and they says, are you the only resident, only resident that doesn't know what's going on? And Jesus says, what things? All that happened to Jesus in Nazareth. And then he says, we are hoping that he was the one who would set Israel free. Beside this, the third day, since all these things happened, some women of our group, and women were not uh, believed. It had to be a man. I'm just sorry. I, this is the way it was during that time. And they said some astonishing news. They were at the tomb before dawn and failed to find his body. And then some of the number went, and they said it was found as the tree. It said, then here's Jesus. huh? Again, as I often say, Jesus doesn't tiptoe through the tulips. Jesus made people mad. Jesus does things that we tell our children not to do. So what does he say here in verse 25? He said to them, what little sense you have. Can you imagine? They're all upset, and here's Jesus. And he doesn't say, Oh, my wonderful children, how much I love you. You misunderstand. No. What little sense you have. And here's the next line, and you should know this if you heard me before. How slow you are to believe all that the prophets had to announce. What's he saying? Are you stupid? <laughs> That's what he said. Slow. Anyway, let's go on. Did not the Messiah, after all these things, enter into his glory? Beginning then with Moses and the prophets, he interpreted for them every passage of Scripture. So what's the first thing Jesus does at the resur after the resurrection in the Gospel of Luke? He says Mass. 
How do we know he says mass? Because here he's doing the liturgy of the word. He's taking the, the, uh, the scriptures and he's breaking it open and explaining it to them. That's a homily and that's the liturgy of the word. Where at every mass we listen to God's word uh, and we listen to it broken up in a homily. That's why when people just come to mass late, I, when I used to have, I still have daily mass, but there was people and years ago that would come in late every single day just for communion, and I would go crazy because they don't understand. It was all about them. They don't get to be challenged by God's word. They just want their vitamin pills so they can go on. And when I would get mad at them and tell them you can't do that, they would get mad at me which was fine, but I have to tell them the truth. So important part of the mass is the holy word of God. That's another way Jesus speaks to us, right? And so it goes on. So he speaks and he opens up the scripture. And then they say, stay with us for evening is practically over. It isn't enough just to hear Jesus uh, preach. Now, if it's not enough for Jesus, who is God, to preach, a homily is not enough. Preaching at an assembly of God isn't enough. It's not enough. He doesn't stay with us that way. Even though his word is proclaimed, even though his word is proclaimed and broken open in a sermon and a homily, it's not enough. Even after that, they beg him, stay with us. And how does he stay that with them? So he went in to stay with them. Again, personal relationship, wanting to eat with them, wanting to be with them. Verse 30, when he had seated himself with them to eat again, he took bread, pronounced the blessing. You get this formula, the breaking of the bread formula, the Eucharistic formula. Then he broke the bread and began to distribute it to them. With that, their eyes were open and they recognized him, whereupon he vanished from their sight. Get this. Jesus says, you want me to stay with you? Meet me in the Eucharist. It's in the Eucharist that Jesus Christ stays with us. It's in the Eucharist that Jesus Christ stays with us. So if you want Jesus to stay with you, you've got to come to Mass. You've got to receive his body blood. You've got to sit down and eat with him and let him feed you with himself because when the bread was broken, then they recognized him. And so he's saying, you want me to be with you? You've got to come to the Eucharist. Then he said, we're not our hearts burning inside as he talked to us, the, word, the liturgy, the word on the road to scriptures. Then they got up and immediately returned and they can on, and in verse 35, they recounted what had happened on the road and how they came to know him in the breaking of the bread. Remember, teaching of the church, meaning of life. God made me to know him, love him, and serve him in this world so I can be happy with him forever and the next. To know God, you need to listen to his word and you need to come into his Eucharistic presence. Period. And again, I'm not doing this to make people mad. I'm just doing this to explain what's happening in his word and what God wants of us and how God deals with us. We don't tell him how to deal with us. We let him tell us how to recognize him, how to be with him. Okay, now I want to go to John's gospel. I'm going to go a little bit late because we're just doing this first time and there's so much to talk about with the Eucharist. I just want to make sure I get at least the big things here. If you ever struggle with the reality of Christ and the presence and the, uh, and the most blessed sacrament, I know I did when I was a young seminarian because I didn't have 
a relationship with him then. I was just letting what people said or different interpretations of scriptures to come. I didn't know him until I started spending time with him. And every day I spent an hour with Jesus. And that way, that's how I come to know him. So I don't have to fight about him. I just spent an hour with him this morning. When you come to spend time with Jesus, that's how you get to know him. You don't have to fight about it. You know, when people are fighting about Jesus, it's almost a hint that they really don't know him yet. So they try to convince themselves that they know him, and they like to argue about it. Again, I I met Mother Teresa years ago in Pittsburgh, and uh, after she gave a beautiful talk, a guy came up who was an atheist and was asking a question in front of everybody and says, I have no respect for you, Mother. You talk about God, and there is no God. And instead of fighting with him, as I would have done, Mother just said, oh, I'm so sorry. I feel so sorry for you. Jesus is so real and he loves you so much. She spoke about who she knew. And that man fell literally back into his chair with his open wide, mouth open wide. It was like she hit him over the head with a two by four. She knew who she was talking about and he knew who she was talking about because she shared with him the reality of that. If you want to really know Jesus, you got to sit with him. And when you sit with him, a lot of you do that. But you don't shut up, sorry. You say a lot of rosaries, you say a lot of things, which is an important reality. But you got to listen to him while you're there in his Eucharistic presence. You know, in Erie, Pennsylvania, I'm the only church with that perpetual adoration, and we're hemorrhaging right now. I told the people on Sunday, we might have to close it because people in the whole city of Erie Almost 100,000 people, 300,000 in the area. And we can no longer fill a week of 24-hour adoration because people don't care. They just cause, and I don't, I don't want to say they don't care. It's just they don't know the reality. They call themselves Catholic, but they don't really know Jesus. And If they really knew it, they would crawl on their knees to be with him one, an hour a week. We need to come back to Eucharistic amazement. The church has been pushing us in the United States. But again, even with all this stuff, I'm the only church of adoration. They've never once talked about coming to the adoration chapel. So again, they miss it. They just miss it. Here's Jesus waiting for all of us 24 hours a day, seven days a week. But all of us are too busy to give him an hour. We got to do we got for the, our own salvation. We got for our own knowledge, for our own reality. Got to learn to spend time with Jesus. An hour a week is just not enough at Mass. To spend extra time is just so important. So I have to do it an hour every day. It's the only way to get to know God is to spend time with Him. It's the only way. It's the only way. The way to know that you come to know Jesus. Anyway, we go with John 6. So if you ever struggle, just go to the 6th chapter of John. And here we can start with verse 35, and then Jesus says, I myself am the bread of life. No one who comes to me shall ever be hungry. No one who believes in me shall ever thirst. But as I told you, though you have seen me, you still do not believe. All that the Father gives me shall come to me. Then he says, verse 40, Indeed, this is the will of my Father, that everyone that looks upon the Son and everyone who believes in him shall have eternal life. That Jesus gives us this promise of the bread of life, and we will live forever because of it. 
Then he says in verse 51, I myself am the living bread come down from heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he shall live forever. The bread I will give is my flesh for the life of the world. Verse 53, let me solemnly assure you, if you do not eat the flesh, the word flesh in Greek is sarx, S-A-R-X, of the son of man and drink his blood, you have no life within you. You see what Jesus, this isn't me, this isn't the church, this is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ says you have no life inside of you unless you eat his flesh and drink his blood. This is Jesus, this is Psalm, this is John chapter 6, verse 53. I'm just telling you what Jesus says. I'm not trying to explain it in weird ways. This is what he says explicitly. If Jesus says, this is my flesh, if you're a fundamentalist, you should believe him. Everyone needs to believe what Jesus said. Jesus Christ is not a liar. If you eat his flesh and drink his blood, you will live forever. Verse 54, he who feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up in the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. It's not symbolic food. It's not teaching. It's real food, real drink. The early church was called cannibals because we ate the flesh and drank the blood of Jesus. Now, again, sacramentally, but the Romans didn't get that. That's why they killed us. They thought we were eating, that we were eating cannibals. We were eating flesh and blood, real flesh and blood. The one who feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in him. When we eat the Eucharist, Jesus Christ, we become one with him. Just as the Father is life has sent me, so I have life because of the Father. So the man who feeds on me eats me will have life because of me. It truly gives us life. And then after hearing this remarks in verse 60, his disciples now, again, his disciples said, this sort of talk is hard to endure. How can anyone take it seriously? Jesus doesn't say, oh, please, no, let me explain. Uh -uh. Jesus was fully aware that his disciples, not the Jews, his disciples were murmuring in protest in what he said. Does this shake your faith, he says? What then when you see the Son of Man ascend? It's the flesh, the spirit that gives life. The flesh is useless. This is a sacrament. Huh? And then he goes on. From that time on, chapter 6, verse 66, the only time in a scripture 666 is used. From that time on, John chapter 6, verse 66, many of his disciples broke away from him and would not remain with him any longer. Jesus, when he taught about the Eucharist, his disciples left him. It wasn't the apostles trying to teach about Jesus later. It was Jesus himself giving us the teaching of his real presence. Listen, you've got to come to Jesus in the Eucharist. If you've been away, come back. Go to confession. Receive his body and blood so that you can live forever. Come back to him. And then once you receive him, he lives inside of you. He doesn't just leave. He stays there. You become one with him. And he promises you life forever. The Eucharist is the most important thing on this earth because the Eucharist is God. He's not a symbol. He's God. So you got to come. you got to be with him. Come home. Jesus greatly desires to be with you.
greatly desire to be with him. You got it? You get it? Are you going to do it? <laughs> May each of you know his love today and forever. Amen. So that was longer than I expected, 40 minutes. Um, so I'm sorry, but I just think I really want to uh, give you more meat every week. Uh, and then we can go through it and discuss it and discuss what I talked about. And then also discuss other questions that you might have. So hopefully um, this will be a way that we can go in another direction. Okay. Hi, Harry. I saw you uh, post earlier about it's nine o'clock in Europe. I get it. So thank you for doing that. Hi, Julie Ryan. How are you people? Uh, we are hoping you're all over your cold and recovered from surgery. I didn't have a cold. I had COVID and then I had surgery. And then last week I was on retreat. So, but I've been praying for you and your husband down there. Uh, I just thought, you know, we were at last year at this time, we were all in Rome. Um, you, your husband, and me, and all of us, and we, I was just looking at the pictures today, and I saw your pagan husband there. With this. He was in the back of the thing in our picture in Rome. It was very good, so I have great uh, memories of all of us in Rome last year. Again, on our uh, thing, again, if you haven't, uh, again, we're going May 10th of next year to the Holy Land, so everybody's welcome to come with me um, to the Holy Land next year, May 10th, and again, just go to internet. Uh, yeah, just put my name, Father Larry Richards, and Holy Land, and you'll get uh, uh, the, it's May 10th of next year for 10 days. It's going to be fantastic. Okay, here we go. Glad you're feeling better. Da, da, da. Hi, Father, a.k.a. Pagan Paul. There you go. Me too. Okay, I'm staying. Hi, Father Larry Lawrence of Vegas. What is your favorite Catholic holiday feast day? It's Christmas. I, I love Christmas. <laughs> In fact, I went and visited my stepfather today, and my brother from my mother had all the, after she passed away, uh, took all the Christmas stuff and uh, gave it to me. So I just brought it back up uh, from my mother and from my family. So it's, it's, it's Christmas. Can you always trust if a devotion has an imperator? Usually. Should we ever be cautious about newer devotions? Yes. Um, Again, the only way we can tell that something's fully true is if it has the backing of the magisterium, and an imperator is, uh, helps with that. But my book, uh, uh, Be a Man, doesn't have an imperator. My surrender book does, uh, just because um, I don't know why they didn't ask for it. Uh, so it, it depends on, um, it could get one, I would, I would hope, um, I've had no one say anything that I said anything heretical about it. My new book coming out, I'm very afraid I have to get an emperor, so I don't say anything heretical. Okay. Is it okay to bless a non-baptized child with holy water? Of course it is. Have you heard about Father Mike Schmidt's 2023 Catechism of the Year podcast? Yes, and everything Mike Schmitz does is unbelievable. He's a fantastic guy. And I say that because he's orthodox, but also because he's humble, you know, and I just have great respect for him. He's a kid, but great respect for him. Uh, in our parish, our extraordinary ministers, extraordinary, are now called host ministers. I haven't heard it mentioned. I never heard it called a host minister. I have not, that's not the official teaching. That's not the official thing. I, I don't know. I wouldn't say you're not allowed to do that, but hey, they're called extraordinary ministers. Uh, because they want to make sure that it's extraordinary. The ones that give out communion should be a priest, a deacon, or a... Um, uh, an acolyte and extraordinary ministers everybody else that does that with the teaching okay 
Here we go. Prayers and blessings. Da, 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 da. We're going through this uh, pretty fast. So I'm going to have to go back and re-listen to share my kiddos with my husband. A person doesn't have to be Catholic to go to adoration, correct? Uh, of course, um, our weatherman, uh, Tom Atkins, is not Catholic, and he's there with me like tonight, my holy hours from 3 to 4. And almost always he's there. He goes almost every night to adoration. Fantastic guy. Uh, but he's not Catholic, and he's very involved in his faith. But every night he comes and spends time with Jesus in the most blessed sacrament. So again, though, some people are just doing that. But again, you still need to eat his flesh and drink his blood to have life within you. So that's where it begins, by spending time. I always say, like, people would go crazy over adoration. They say, you're supposed to eat him, not stare at him. Well, if you have a great Thanksgiving dinner, you're staring at that turkey. Now you start salivating. You want to eat the turkey. You never just want to stare at the uh, turkey and just stare at it and go, doesn't that look nice? You want to eat it. You want to become one with that turkey. Same with the Eucharist. If you spend time in adoration, you'll soon desire uh, to receive him fully and completely in the most blessed sacrament. Okay. I guess those, okay, Bruce, well, they would not be nice, but many don't believe in our Lord's presence as we do. But again, I know a lot of people that go to adoration don't even believe in the Lord's presence. And see how I say that a lot. I don't mean a lot, but there are people comparatively if they go, they just want some peace. And I know people go there instead of spending time listening to them, they'll crochet or do other things, which is fine. But Jesus wants your full attention. Um, Exactly. What do you think of the ban of all religion in North Korea? I think, that, of course, it's atheistic, but God could care less uh, who the leaders of all these countries are. God always has his way. God always wins. That's what I'm saying. You know, they were saying, President, we're close to Armageddon. And if it is, so be it. Can you imagine if the world ends and heaven finally begins? All this. People try out too often to think that this world is our home, and it's not. And that's why when you spend time with Jesus in a blessed sacrament, you have a longing for heaven. You just do, because you know that when you're there, you're beyond this world. You're entering into the kingdom. And so it prepares you for when you take your last breath. You're entering into the kingdom. Huh? So, May God grant his grace to Father. Thank you. What are the uh, kinds of sexual sins? I know that your natural and unnatural sexual sins, if they're further division, what is relevant, number, and kind? Uh, I want to talk about sexual sins. Uh, that's going to be one of the topics coming out. So uh, we'll put that on hold and we'll put that on the side so I can talk about morality and sex. And um, that way I can, I can put a... Uh, a thing on there because when I talk about sex it's very explicit and I would want to put a thing on there that would uh, you know say for adults only so kids aren't listening to that and people would be aware but I'll when I talk about sex and that I will talk about that later and we'll put a warning on there before it happens so uh, people that listen with their kids that would be the day they wouldn't let uh, have their kids listen also that's what I do when I do a parish mission but I think it's important and I will I get to that, absolutely, some man seven. Father Larry, please send a shout-out to my Mother Mary T-shirts. Okay, Mother Mary T-shirts, shout-out. I was definitely lukewarm for nearly 10 years not being able to receive communion during COVID when I couldn't go to Mass. Actually, led me back to my faith, and it's never been stronger. Exactly. 
once you really go to church, you know, like even today, someone came to communion at Mass, and I got strong with them because when you go to Mass, the most important thing you do uh, when you receive Jesus in the Eucharist is you say amen. So when the priest says, or the Eucharist minister, extraordinary minister says, or the deacon says, the body of Christ, you say amen. And what does amen mean? It means I would stake my life in what you just said. It means I would give everything, uh, die for the real presence of Jesus. Now, some people, because of the old style, the old style when you went to communion, the priest would say amen for you. So all you did was stick out your tongue. The priest would say, Corpus Christi, amen. Corpus Christi, amen. Corpus Christi, amen. Uh, Body of Christ, amen. But Vatican Council came and said, the person has to make that act of faith. They need to say amen. So when a person comes, and you can tell when they're going to another mass, and they just stick out their tongue at me, I say, you say amen. Why? Because you have to make that act of faith. you got to be willing to die for Jesus in the most blessed sacrament. You're not just going to stick out your tongue at me, and I'm not going to say it for you. You say amen. And they go, okay. So then they always say amen. Now, again, people get uh, mad at me because I do that. But I'm trying to teach them something. And I'm trying to teach them the teaching of the Holy Roman Catholic Church. We did this at Vatican Council to bring faith back into the people, that it's your responsibility. It's not the priest's responsibility to say amen for you. You need to say amen. So if you're going to go to a regular mass at the church of God, says the normal way of going to mass, not the extraordinary way, the normal way, you must say amen. It's an act of faith. You are telling the world that you would die for the real presence of Jesus Christ in the Eucharist. It's so important. So when people get like, oh, Father Larry's just mean. I'm not mean. I can be mean, yeah. But I want people to know this is what you must do. This is what is required of you. But again, everybody wants the faith to be done by somebody else. Just let me show up. Nope. The faith should cost you your life. And that means you do things God's way, not your way. And that's just so important because today everybody wants to follow the faith that they want, not what the church tells us. And that isn't faith at all. It's selfishness. We got to do, we got to be obedient in faith. We do God's will and God's will is told to us through the faith of the church the magisterium not a bishop that agrees with you and it's outspoken and is in sin because of their pride and their disobedience and that's the truth if you speak against the magisterium the teaching of the church by all the bishops and the pope you go against that it's pride and its own selfishness and it's drawing people to you instead of drawing people to god We've got to submit ourselves to the authority of the Holy Father and the Magisterium because that's what keeps us in truth. That's what we know. That is what we come get the Bible from. 
The church taught us the 27 books. This is what is of God, and this isn't one of God. It's the church who taught us the real presence of God in the most blessed sacrament, the Eucharist. So we we got to just watch that we don't pick and choose what we believe. We surrender ourselves to the fullness of the authority of the church, and that's where we get saved. And that's why it breaks my heart when all these people are doing things their way and saying, I don't like what this pope says. I don't like what this one says. I like what I believe. Someone else said that, and that was the evil one. I will not serve. He wanted to do it his way. Can't be our way. It got to be God's way, and so to submit ourselves to even when I don't agree, of course, unless it's sinful. If they tell you to go and do sin, of course they tell you to go kill somebody or kill a baby in the womb. That's ridiculous, but that's not what's happening. So we got to make sure that uh, we stay true to the faith. Okay. Um. Happy Clergy Appreciation Day on Sunday. Oh, thank you. I didn't know it was Clergy Appreciation Day. <laughs> thank you. Okay. So we're going to come to the end here. Oh, no, I got a few things here. I, can, I don't see any more questions or anything about what I talked about today. So let's go through this stuff. When I asked someone how they were the other day, they said, blessed and favored. The word favored gave me a cringe a little bit. It seemed prideful and boastful. Again, the word favored, yes, this is from Johnny. Uh, it comes from the, the Blessed Mother. You know, I talk about that before. I want to ask this African-American woman. I said, how are you? And she says, blessed and highly favored. And I go, yes, exactly. She's quoting Our Lady, Our Lady who says, uh, from this day all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me and holy is his name. So it goes on, and you know, that's, uh, when it comes to the favored part, it's what uh, the angel Gabriel said to Mary, you know, uh, oh, highly favored one, full of grace. But this is who we are in God, but we, we're not pointing people to ourselves, we're pointing people to Jesus, and that's so important. Hi, Father, can we work on Christmas Day even on Sunday? Please help. Of course you can. Again, the church has always taught that we can work even on Sundays if it's something we can't get out of. Jesus came to set us free from the law, but we still do what we do for love of him. But again, like my job is a priest, right? And I work most on Sundays because that's my job, but it brings glory to God and to other people. But it's not, it's my vocation too, but it's also what I get paid to do is to, to say mass on Sundays. So again, all that stuff, if you do it with joy and you do it for God's glory, the, the whole thing of keeping holy a Sabbath was given to us by God for us, right? He rested and he wants us to rest. So it's an important reality that we do that. We keep the Sabbath. I don't think most people keep Sabbath. Even if they don't go to work, they do other things at themselves or the house. It's a day to give to God and to give to our family. And that's why God gave it to us. So we got to make sure that we do it for why God gave it to us for. The commandments we do for love of him. So it shouldn't keep us just focused on ourselves. But of course, if like you're a, uh, a nurse or someone and you have to go to work on Christmas or uh, a, holy, a Sunday or a holy day, you can do that. Just encourage you to, uh, if you can go Mass before, after, another day of the week, um, and if you can get off on those days, you should. 
But if you have to work, the church is always taught that's okay. Because, again, the original Sabbath was when? Saturday. And then the church changed it to Sunday. The church changed it. The church changed a commandment that said, keep away the Sabbath, which means keep away uh, Saturday for centuries and centuries. And then the church says, no, Jesus Christ rose from the dead Sunday, so we're changing the Sabbath to an eternal Sabbath as of Sunday. So it can happen, okay? So the church says you can work if you can't get out of it. Okay, last question. Listening to you for years, I've always, uh, I've asked a pair of priests and he wasn't sure of the answers I thought I would ask you. I'm always losing my scapular, forgetting to wear it. Lately I've kept it in my wallet. Not sure that's correct or not, but I figured I would have it in case of emergency. Um, this is not a uh, uh, superstition. It's a relationship. I wear my scapular every day. And again, you just keep it on. You should keep it on no matter what. The only time I take my scapular off and my cross off is when I'm taking a shower. And then I keep it right there and I just put it right back on. So I, I sleep with it. I do everything with it except take a shower. And I, don't, I know people take showers with it. I wouldn't do that. But again, if you learn to, you should, it's, it's to show that, you belong to our Blessed Mother, but you're part of the Carmel. And so Carmel, the scapular Car- Carmelites wear is a big brown thing from the front and the back. This short thing has been given to us so we can share in the, the gifts and all that of Our Lady. But again, it's not a superstition. You know, I used to have my kids that say, I'm going to wear my scapular, so just in case I die, I get to go to heaven. I says, nah. I, and I'd tell them, I'd say, listen, son, if you're having sex with your girlfriend and you die of a heart attack while you're doing it and you have the scapular, the scapular will be used to drag you to hell. This is not a way to try to get around things with God. You got to live the faith. And this is just a sign of it. But it isn't like a uh, superstitious uh, thing that we keep on us to keep us from all, uh, from going to hell. That ain't what that means in any way, shape, or form. You got to live in accordance to what it says and the teaching of the church and the teachings of Our Lady. Okay? Anyway, it's time to go. So again, I'd encourage you, if you want me to talk about different topics, to send them uh, to the podcast, to the reasonforourhope.org. Just go there and just email us and uh, say podcast topic, and I will talk about various things throughout until we start getting people in here so I can start uh, talking to them about the faith and what gives them hope. Pray, please, it just just gets done (laughs) sooner as opposed to later. The Lord be with you. May Almighty God bless, keep, and protect you, He who is Father and Son and Holy Spirit. Amen. Remember, I love you and I pray for you every day. Please pray for me. God bless you.